Hi, everyone. It's Kelly. Before we get started with the podcast, I wanted to tell you about our annual fund campaign, More Choice, Louder Voice, now through the end of August. RCVRC is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization, and we need the help of our listeners to continue to provide resources like this podcast. Would you consider making a donation or becoming a podcast sponsor? Head on over to www.rcbresources.org backslash donate to make your contribution today. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the July 2022 episode of RCD Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Kelly, a member of the Resource Center staff, and in today's episode, I'll be talking with two other staff members, Chris Hughes and Rosemary Blizzard, about all of the conferences that we have attended this spring and summer. We even have a few more to come. Welcome, Rosemary and Chris. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us on. It's good to be here. Thanks, Kelly. So this is great to see everybody because, first of all, we haven't been in the office together for a whole week, pretty much all summer, right, because we've been traveling. Um, Looking forward to hearing about what we've been learning and who we've been meeting at these great conferences. So let's go ahead and get started. After, you know, two years, we've had COVID. We haven't been able to travel. Very few in-person meetings it's, it's exciting that we're getting to go and meet people in person. Often these are people that we've been talking to on Zoom calls and Google Meets and um, all these different digital ways that we're, we're communicating and collaborating these days. But wow, it's really different in person. Rosemary, talk a little bit about your experience jumping back into in-person conferences and meetings. Well, Kelly, I can honestly say I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's a big statement coming from someone who is very much an introvert and and very much could live without human contact more than most people. Um, So it it has been really good to just get back in person and, and have those conversations with people, get to know different people. And having worked in a uh, virtual environment for the last three years. It's been great, but it is ultimately, it is nice to just be around people again. I hope it lasts. Chris, your first person in-person event was the Election Verification Network Conference in DC a couple months ago. How did you feel about actually getting around people? I was, you know, it was, I was excited. I was just also a little nervous because I hadn't been, I think just like, I think everybody feels this. I hadn't been around a lot of people in a while. And I was like, do I still know how to interact with human beings? <laughs> that was the nervous part. Um, I had been to EVN, the Election Verification Network Conference, a few other times. Um, for everybody who doesn't know what that is, it's a group of election security, cybersecurity experts who get together every year to talk about election security. Uh, it's like a very... it's super interesting. Everybody there is brilliant and knows just an incredible amount of things about elections and computers and how they sometimes work nicely together. Other times don't. Um, but it's always, uh, it's always very informative. It can sometimes be a little intimidating just because there's so much information getting thrown at you. But, uh, it was, it was exciting to like be back and see people because they hadn't had it for a few years, you know, for all the obvious reasons. (laughs) 
You know, I agree. I, I, as you know, I went to the Association of Fundraising Professionals in um, Las Vegas back in May. And the thing that struck me the most was being in the room with so many people who understand fundraising and who could share their fundraising expertise with all of these people doing great work around the U.S., um, it was really just incredible. Um, I know I learned a lot. I connected with some resources there that we are now using in our fundraising program. Um, and and it, you know, it makes a difference to touch it, feel it, see it, live it, and breathe it in a way that we can't do um, on, a, on a virtual call or in a virtual conference. And you know, I've been to some really great virtual conferences too, but there's nothing like sitting down and eating lunch with you know a guy from... Kentucky, who's doing fundraising that is similar to the fundraising we're doing, um, and, and, and you're offering that that in, interaction back and forth. So we also attended the National Association of Secretaries of State, and um, I'm the one who attended that one. So uh, along with Ryan Kirby, who's our policy policy specialist, and Renee Rojas, who is our um, RCTAB software program manager, and the thing there that struck me and it, it started to kind of click with me that the themes were going to be similar in the election um, conference circuit this summer because everyone is really concerned about how our elections work. Um, and so we immediately got to NAS and it was in um, this cool place in Baton Rouge and um, we were able to you know meet some people. But the first thing we learned to do there was to pick locks. And I'm telling you about this because I think it's really fascinating. They had us you know, go around this, this um, interactive stations to understand and learn about cybersecurity. And then they also gave us some, some physical security things to do, but they did that to set up the conference in a way that we were fully immersed in um, um, you know, what the importance is of security within our elections. Um, so it, it was a really great way to do that. It was it was fun to have an interactive where we you know we worked through a scenario together to say hey what would you do if this happened what would you do if that happened, and we talked with experts you know like Ryan Maseas across who does awesome work with um, you know with with security and documentation software um, within our election system. So that was a really interesting thing to to see and to note. Now I think Chris probably EVN had a similar focus right. Yeah, I think by its nature, EVN is always focused on election security, but it did, um, it felt a little different this year just because of everything that's happened, you know, since 2020, um, with January 6th, with everything that led up to that. Um, and like <laughs> the way the conversation hasn't died down and in some ways has sort of gotten more intense about people interfering in our elections and, um, you know, both insider threats, people who are elected officials, you know, like Tina Peters in Mesa County, Colorado, um, sort of exposing her office to really serious potential interference by inviting outsiders who with no expertise um, or the sort of classic outsider threat, which is nation state interference. Is Russia trying to hack our elections? Is it a 2016 situation? Are there nation state threats from other places are there other outsider threats hacking collectives or other people who want to interfere in our elections you know those conversations are always going on at a place like evn but it did feel even more uh i mean more what's the tone more intense a little more dire in some ways frankly 
just because of the conversations we've been having in the United States about the ways people have tried to undermine democracy in American elections, essentially. Um, and it's, it's so important, especially at a place like EVN, because, you know, they're coming to it as they are good faith actors. They want our elections to be more secure, but they're concerned about how, whether the computers we use to run our elections, fundamentally, this is the concern. There's other things going on, but whether the computers we use to run our elections are secure enough. But there's people who are now acting in bad faith, taking those same narratives, twisting them and using them to undermine democracy. So it's really, it's sort of this ongoing conversation of how do you, as a good faith actor, communicate your concern um, effectively <laughs> and do what you can to keep bad faith actors from twisting it and flipping it and breaking it. And that's really, it's, it's a constant challenge. I think it's a challenge for anybody who works in reform um, because any criticism, especially now, could be taken in bad faith and people can twist it and mess it up. Um, but it's, it just feels even more relevant now. And that was just an interesting dynamic there, uh, alongside just the incredible amount of information, like I said, that they give in all the sessions at EVN. It's always so fascinating. And me as a non-cybersecurity expert, I always learn a lot <laughs> at every single one. Now, Rosemary, you're a former election administrator. So what does security look like within an election office? Well, I want to reassure our listeners, there's always been some measure of security in elections offices. I mean, I think even election officials who may not be the most um, aware of, of what's going on in the world, and, and that's a very small number, let me say that, you know, everyone's always been aware that you should protect your equipment, you should protect your data, you should protect your the the ballots and, and all of the things that are associated with an election. And there's always been some measure of that. And that's probably if of all the things that have gone on in the world that I, I do see as a positive is it has focused elections administrators on making better what they already had. The, the issue I see with all that has gone on in the world is not only, you know, the good part about strengthening our, our security around our elections and, and learning all the different ways that our elections can be affected, but the, the bad part is, is time and resources are being having to be dedicated to fending off things that don't really exist except in the minds of people who, who seek to harm our democracy. Um, and, and that's frustrating because what that has ultimately led to is when we are in a place where we know far more about how to protect our elections than we've ever known, we could be spending time and resources putting all of those things into place, but we're also having to fend off the 45 phone calls about, well, I heard this on the news, is this true? Oh my gosh. So you're now you're in this misinformation, disinformation cycle that having talked to administrators who are currently in the trenches, so to speak, that has not let up. And, and when you factor in those things and the fact that these individuals are getting death threats and are having to have policies and procedures to walk to their car at night, that's 
well, it's a sad commentary on what's going on in our world, but it's just really putting these people through paces that they've never had to go through before. And are we as a country supporting them financially, mentally, physically to make it through this process so that we can continue to have good elections? I think you hit on something really important, Rosemary. Um, You know, I, I think the misinformation issue really perpetuates an idea that elections were never safe and but you know certainly they were and certainly they are and um you know helping people to understand that i I sat beside a gentleman um on the way to one of the conferences on the plane and he just you know he's very well educated um you know seemed to be knowledgeable about politics um he also loved to talk about basketball so carolina and duke was also a, a topic of conversation but he just kept insisting he said, but there has to be the things that go wrong. There has to be ballots lost. I said, the reality is things like that are a very, very small percentage. It is nothing widespread. It is not mass numbers of ballots being thrown in trash cans. It is none of that is happening. And, you know, this bad actor misinformation um, really is skewing the way people think about free and fair elections. I'd like to add a little something to that, Kelly, is, you know, it's fine to question policies and procedures. That's how you learn. You know, I I could spend time with a voter and explain to them exactly how administrators do things, how they process ballots, how they move them from point A to point B. And that education should have the effect of reassuring the voter or whoever you're talking to that, okay, I understand how this process works. And I'm 100% fine with people who simply don't know the processes, who seek to learn how those processes actually take place. And I think that is perfectly fine if that's the reason and purpose for your questions about elections and and helping you understand that that things just, there is a process, there is a, a way to do an election from start to finish. My, my issue with, with it is, is if those questions are coming from a place of, I don't like the outcome, so let me figure out how to change it, then that's a whole nother conversation that you have to have with folks. And you have to recognize you may not come to an agreement. You probably will not come to an agreement. Um, so identifying people who are truly wanting to learn the processes for the sake of of being able to give that information out, those are the folks we want to be talking to. I'm not sure how to talk to those that are just determined not to see see it for what it is. Um, and that's probably a whole nother podcast and several episodes worth of that podcast to, to even identify that issue. But I think the other problem we have in terms of missing disinformation and, you know, we're supposed to be talking about conferences. So I'll, I'll just say this, but, um, most people have certain sources of information they trust, whether that's the New York times or whether that's Fox news, they have the information they've chosen to trust and the right wing media infrastructure period has decided to fill people's heads with misinformation. And that's like, the most effective way to stop misinformation is to stop it from getting out. I think the second most effective way is to 
inoculate people against it before they receive it. And that's sort of, it's a battle we're sort of losing already, but one we need to keep fighting. And that's find new ways to get trusted information to people who right now are only receiving mis and disinformation about elections. And what I've seen places doing so far is working with elections offices, like the local, the county and the city elections offices, the people who, regardless of your political affiliation, regardless of who you tend to trust, you're most likely to trust those people, your local election officials, because they're doing elections locally. And as much as people say they don't trust elections, they rarely, they almost always trust the elections in their backyard. And if they can hear from their local election official that like to inoculate them against misinformation, to help them be better at evaluating when they're receiving mis and disinformation from other trusted sources, that's the thing you need to be doing is getting those folks, those local clerks um, as connected to people who are vulnerable to mis and disinformation as possible. But like you have also the competing problem of local clerks are receiving death threats for providing truth to people. And so it's, again, like a really delicate balance, but there's such, I think those local city and county clerks are such a powerful vector for truth uh, and for like the concept for shoring up democracy um, at the local level, because that's where this is really crumbling is people who are undermining things locally and and not trusting things locally, despite evidence to the contrary. This is actually a great place to transition into um, the experience that Rosemary and I had last week at NASAD or the National Association of State Election Directors. Um, one of the things that struck us out of the gate immediately, um, even before we stepped foot on um, you know, the ground in Madison, Wisconsin, was there had been a lot of discussion via email about how the security would be at the conference. Um, you know, we didn't have um, a full agenda until we arrived there. We had to show our IDs to get our badge. Um, you know, there were a lot of things and a lot of thought that went into the kind of security necessary to protect, you know, 30 or 35 of the, the, the nation's um, primary election directors for various states. Um, Rosemary, you want to speak a little bit to that? And, and you know, from my perspective, I, I knew that was going to happen. But once I was in that moment, it really gave me um, the ability to, to think about even more clearly what our election officials are facing with these death threats and the things that are happening in their offices. Sure, Kelly. Um, the thing that, that struck me the most was not so much the security procedures that we were asked to follow while we were in session, but what really hit me probably the hardest and, and also made me irrationally angry too, um, was we were asked to make sure we did not wear our name badges or any identifying information about the conference when we were not on the floor where the actual conference was being held. And, you know, obviously there's always the joke about the, the poor person that's at a conference and wears their name tag to dinner at a local restaurant. But, you know, it really hit me that this is a serious issue. Not that I didn't know that already, but just sort of the, wow, here we are at a conference in a, in a random city in, in, a, in this country, and we're not 
supposed to advertise what we do for a living. And as speaking from an administrator standpoint, when you work in elections, that does in some way, because of the way we have to, to work hours and days and months and weeks, that does become a little bit of your identity. And to be asked to hide that identity is, like I said, it, it's it's very, it's a very pivotal moment. And it, and it made me incredibly angry that, you know, we, we pride ourselves on living in a country where people can go and do as they please. And, and really you can't. And it was very obvious here uh, last week while we were in Wisconsin. It ended up being a fantastic conference. We learned quite a bit about what states are doing to to make sure their elections are, are being run effectively. But it, there was always in the back of the mind, um, you know, the, these people are targets. And that's that will never be OK in my book, ever. Yeah, I think it's one of the things we face with civil servants generally, you know, they're doing a job to benefit the public good, but yet they're facing all of these challenges. Um, yeah, last night I was at dinner with some friends and we were talking about what I do and, and, you know, these conferences and why I've been traveling so much. And one of them said, gosh, you know, I've been reading, I read an article about something that was happening in Madison, Wisconsin, where they had all kinds of security. And I said, well, that's where I was last week. That's what election directors are facing. Um, I think you read about it, you hear about it in the in the you know sort of out there realm, but when you bring it home to somebody you know who's been you know to the conference, understands what kind of security was going on there, you start to see what our election folks are are running into. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about with with NASED is um, we got to hear a great presentation on. Um, the work being done in Alaska. So as we know, um, Alaska is one of our ranked choice voting statewide um, states. They'll be doing their first ranked choice voting election for the special election coming up here in early August. And they were discussing, you know, how they do things in a state where there's not even roads on the, the western half of the state. So they really only have a certain corridor up through the right side of the, the, the state where they can travel and, and, you know, otherwise they have to use planes and, um, you know, to get election equipment, to get information, to get mail, whatever, you know, basic necessities that we think of as being easy. If I jump on, you know, I-4995, Chris, I could be at your, you know, in D.C. in five hours. It's not like that in Alaska. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of work with them on various things for their election. But um, it struck me as um, Gail Fanumi, I was talking, which is their state election director, about, you know, wow, these people are doing some amazing things to make sure every voter gets a chance to cast their ballot. And, you know, that's that's what's so important here. And that's the central message of all of these conferences that, you know, our job is to make sure voters' voices are heard. And um, that that's a, a very lofty, mighty goal, in my opinion. So um, you know, it's, it's interesting and, and exciting to see that we're being done. And I hope that, you know, some of this negative misinformation, disinformation, threats, um, can start to you know tamp down and um, dissipate as we work to protect our democracy. 
Chris, you and I are going to be traveling to Denver here in the next few days, actually on Saturday, to attend the National Conference of State Legislators Conference, and um, you know, we're looking forward to that. And the conference actually doesn't start till Monday, but can you tell a little bit about why we are going on Saturday and what you're going to be doing Sunday? Yeah, so we're getting in early just because on Sunday, there's a six-hour session all about ranked choice voting. There's three panels, um, one about how ranked choice voting works in general, one about whether ranked choice voting, like what impacts it has on elections and how people run elections, how voters participate in elections, and one about the future of ranked choice voting, what's happening next in the world of ranked choice voting. Uh, so we'll be on one of those panels. Um, we'll be on it, and there's going to be folks from all over the country from all over the ranked choice voting space on these panels too. I believe Fairvote will have some representatives there. Um, I'm certain there will be some election administrators. I think Dwight Shellman from Colorado will be on one of the calls. He's at the Secretary of State's office in Colorado. Um, and legislators themselves, people who have introduced ranked choice voting bills, uh, will be on some of these panels talking about, you know, their work on ranked choice voting, what draws them to it, what it's for, why they're excited about it. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to be that we have the opportunity to be on these panels and to participate in this conversation just because NCSL for people who don't know really is like the gathering spot for state legislators from across the country. It's, I don't know how big this room is going to be, but everybody who's thinking about ranked choice voting has heard about ranked choice voting and certainly people who hate it and want to like heckle us a little bit are going to be in this room. So it's, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. Um, and personally, I've gone to NCSL, um, to the summit, which is what this like annual gathering is called, I think three times now. Um, and each time, ranked choice voting has become a more serious proposition. People have taken it more seriously. More people have heard of it. I have to do less explaining of you rank candidates in order of preference. You count votes in rounds, blah, blah, blah. And more engaging on like, well, what does it look like in your state? What could you use it for? What what are you hearing from people? Um, so I'm excited to see what the environment is like around it this time, just because I think in the last two years, ranked choice voting has become even more, <laughs> take, is taken even more seriously as a reform. Um, so I'm very excited for those panels and just to see what conversations develop over, over the course of the week. So I'm also excited. NCSL is the first conference that we've attended where we're actually going to have a vendor booth. Um, we have some great new uh, things to share, um, some, some pins and all those kind of fun things that you pick up at conferences. But I'm also really excited because Renee Rojas is going with us also, and he will be doing demonstrations of our RC tab software. Um, it's a tabulation solution, as you know, for um, ranked choice voting elections. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of interest in um, understanding how that process works with your voting system that you're actually using in your state and then this particular piece of software that can tabulate and run the round-by-round -round tabulation. Um, I know Renee went to a state conference in Washington State earlier in the summer and didn't even have a vendor table and he just sat down at a table one afternoon and he just he said he probably did 10 or 15 demos of how RCTAB works. There's a lot of good interest growing in that and I think they're particularly in states where they're either already running ranked choice voting elections, there are new ones coming on board 
this year or they're looking at you know ranked choice voting in the future um, it can really be you know something great to see in person again hands-on talking to the people that that um, you know develop the software so we also are hitting election center at the end of the month um, so we're excited to do that we'll have another vendor table there um, you know that's that's just in, in my opinion at a conference that's my favorite way to meet people because you know, they come up to us, we can tell a little bit about what we do, we can share our mission um, and really help them, um, you know, understand how we can help their state or their jurisdiction or their advocacy group. Yeah, you're going to be in Denver a lot in August. The third time, this will be the third time this summer. Um, apparently, Denver is the place for election conferences. So I've enjoyed it. I've never been to the Mile High City before this summer. And um, I know Rosemary and I sure did enjoy the first trip there. I didn't even mention that. We went to the League of Women Voters biannual convention. Um, we're really able to connect with a lot of women across the country who are doing great RCV work and great work in other areas of democracy, um, preservation, and um, you know, making sure that you know youth voters are voting and making sure that, you know, people have access to the ballot and, and you know, looking at other ways to reform our system, like electoral, electoral college reform. Um, but it was really exciting to see some folks from, you know, uh, rank the vote, um, got to see Monica and Celia, and we got to see um, our friend um, Cynthia from Represent Women. Um, we got to see Paula Lee from, uh, and uh, Dr. Barbara Klein. So all the people that are big players in ranked choice voting um, that are with the League of Women Voters, um, it's a really great way to, to connect with those people and um, spend some time talking about what we're doing and how we're doing that. Um, so I, I look, uh, Rosemary, do you have anything else to add about League of Women Voters? I'll just add that it was a great convention. They, uh, I had an opportunity to talk to some of the planners at that convention, and, and they shared many of the same concerns that I think everybody is, is, you know, how do we come back from two years apart? Um, they actually did offer sort of a hybrid convention, so you could attend in person as we did, or you could attend the sessions remotely. And, and of course, there were hiccups. There's always hiccups. But I think from what I understand, it, it went as well as it could have. And it was really, really nice, again, like I said earlier, just to be back among people, like-minded people, and, and talking about important issues, and, and not only the issues, but how to contribute some sort of meaningful solutions to those issues. So it was just really, really good, good convention. And it was also a win-win because being from North Carolina, I am a huge, huge fan of Denver humidity or lack thereof. So really enjoyed that part of it. I'm already planning accordingly for the, the reduced humidity because we're really hot down here in Eastern North Carolina today. Um, so we're nearing the end of our time and you guys know I have a signature question at the end of the podcast. So describe conference attendance in three words or less. Mine is corny. Lots of fun. Yay! <laughs> Rosemary. Stressful, but very much a core part of helping us accomplish our mission. Too many words. A lot of words there. You could say accomplish our mission, maybe. But I'm sure you're going to be surprised when I say opportunity to talk. Okay, for our listeners, I'd like to add that this woman will talk to anybody 
a lot, which is, I, I mean that as a compliment because I won't. Um, so it, we're quite the pair when we descend upon conferences. That's true. Get ready to do a lot of handshaking, Chris, <laughs> or elbow bumping, depending on what we're doing because of COVID. I'm ready. So thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, you know, we've been wanting to talk about our conference attendance um, on a podcast episode. We've had a lot of great topics this year and we're excited that we, you know, we've really morphed this, um, this tool for RCV, our podcast into a monthly um, episode. Thank you to our great production team, Chris, Melissa, me, and anybody else who needs to jump in at the last minute um, to get the podcast out every month. Um, if, if you're if you're listening lately, you probably know we, we typically drop an episode at the last Thursday of every month. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to some other great topics coming up. So thanks, guys. I look forward to seeing you Saturday, Chris. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be back to share some more great things with you next month. Yep. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or something we thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Emily Kramer, our summer intern, with this month's final round. Maine was one of the first states to adopt statewide use of ranked choice voting. Like many RCV jurisdictions, Maine's Department of the Secretary of State provides detailed information to voters about how ranked choice voting works, how to fill out their ballot, and how ranked choice voting elections are tabulated. To reach more people, the Secretary of State provides voter education information in both written and video formats. There are even sample ballots available for voters to prepare for election day. Voter education is key to successful elections, and that's why Maine's strong and successful voter education campaign is this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our July 2022 RCV Clips episode produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to the show for the latest episodes and updates, and take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about RCVRC and Ranked Choice Voting, check out our website at www.rcvresources.org. The production of this podcast is supported by the generosity of our donors. Donations can be made directly on the website, and please don't hesitate to contact us with any donation questions at donate at rcvresources.org. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rcvresources and on Facebook and LinkedIn at the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Our theme music today is Flutterby by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Kelly Seacrest on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.